Thank you. Thank you, praise team, led by the Unabomber. Thank you for that. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Dr. Godless. To all who have come for the College for the Weekend, the parents and the youth pastors and youth leaders, and to the students, this morning I rise to speak to you on the topic of the Akkadian controversy surrounding the Ugaritic text, the prophetic implications <laughs> of the Millennial Temple specifically on Ezekiel's vision <laughs> as extrapolated by the Federalist Papers. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> I almost put myself to sleep right there. Um, no, I want to talk to you about High School Musical. Um, <laughs> the participation. Shut up. Now, I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles and turn with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Instead, what I actually want to speak to you about is the topic of turning points, specifically finding God's specific will in your life. We're going to begin reading in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. And the Bible says this. Let no man, let no one despise, reject, look down upon, mock your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, faith and in purity. Until I come, give attention to the reading and to the exhortation and to doctrine, sound doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the elders. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that you progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and you will save those that hear you. My son, my oldest son, is nine years old. And Braxton came to me this morning while I was putting product in my beard. And... He said he wanted to go see High School Musical. Yeah, I know. I, 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 have, a, I have no... <sighs> Every parent knows, man. There's, mm, there's things you got to do just because you're a parent that you don't necessarily want to do. This fantastic trilogy that left so many unanswered questions after number two. 
brings us to senior year. Now, I don't have a problem with High School Musical for, for just the issue of the movie. Sometimes I have a little bit of a problem with musicals just because nobody talks like that. I don't ever see, I don't, I mean, look, I, I've, gone, I've gone to marry my fair lady, I, I, I'm a big supporter of drama, but the problem with musicals is nobody does that. You don't ever see anybody hanging out in front of DeMoss going, I'm hungry, and then all their friends go, he's hungry, he's hungry, he's hungry, he's hungry. <laughs> so, it just makes me nervous, man. When are they going to break out in song? I've got to brush my teeth. His teeth, his teeth, his teeth, his teeth, got to brush his teeth. Really? <laughs> no, um, my problem is, is that the central characters in High School Musical are two whiners known as Troy and Gabriella. And... Really? <laughs> and uh, their problem in High School Musical 3 is they don't know where to go for college. The entire dichotomy between do we go with each other, do we go where our gifts lie, do we go where we feel like we're being led, I mean the whole thing. The, the end result, the entire theme, the entire thesis of High School Musical ends on this central premise. And I'm going to look right here in the camera, giving me a close-up. Am I that ugly? <laughs> this is the theme of High School Musical. <laughs> Follow your heart. That's it. Follow your heart. Now, the, the, the Greek word for that is <laughs> Because I've never heard anything so asinine or stupid in my entire life. How do you know how to follow your heart, to follow your emotions? What if you had a bad burrito the night before? What if, what, if, what if the entire purpose behind your emotions is because you're just an emotional cripple and you're just waiting to glom onto somebody? Everybody in this room has dated somebody who just gradually, subtly, ever so slightly turned into a psycho in the middle of your dating relationship. And you've committed your entire being to this person and now you think they need Thorazine or a shot. Really? Is that going to be your entire thesis of life? I'm just going to follow my heart. Can I have a hug? Here's a specific. Write it down, mark it down. There are two facts upon which you can build your life. Number one, God loves you and has a plan for your life, a specific plan for your life. And number two, he wants you to know his will. It's not some mystery that you've got to go through the fog, through the vacuous vagity of life where you're just sort of streaming through and wondering which door I go to. God not only has a specific will for your life, but he wants you to know it. And for most of us in this room that are born-again, blood-bought believers in Jesus, the hardest decisions you're going to ever have to make are not the decisions between the good and the bad. I've never walked into a hotel room and had somebody standing there naked going, hi. Because that would be between the good and the bad. It's never between the good and the bad for those of you that got your radar up. It's always between the good and the best. The hardest decisions you as parents, you as youth leaders, you as high schoolers, you as Liberty students are ever going to have to make is not between good and evil, but between good, better, and best. God wants you to know his specific will. It is possible 
to know professionally, personally, spiritually, and emotionally. It is possible to know what God wants for you. I'm not saying he's going to show you the entire panoply. He's not going to show you the whole schematic of your life. But what he will show you is his will at every step. And so for those of you who are here, the over 2,000, 98 people who are here wondering if this is God's will for your life, for the thousands who are here and the thousands who are watching us by simulcast at Thomas Road, it is possible to know whether this is God's will for your life, whether the job you may be doing is God's will for your life, whether the person you're with is God's will for your life. So as, as goofy as I am, there are some times where I become very serious. And this is one of those places. Because anybody in this room can tell you the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is outside of the will of God. When a believer in Jesus is outside the will of God, you become miserable. You become bitter. You begin to wonder if you have somehow screwed up or if God has somehow abandoned you. You begin to assume that God doesn't love you. You think God has set you up to fail. You feel trapped. And the irony of it is, as we read in verse 16, it's not only going to affect you, it'll affect those that hear you. It'll affect those that are around you. So I want to lay out for you a simple plan, a, just a simple checklist of knowing whether liberty is the will of God for you, whether that boyfriend or girlfriend is the will of God for you, whether the job you're going to pour your life into for the next 40 years is the will of God for you. The first thing I'm going to tell you is you need two things to find the will of God. You need a desire to know his will, and then you need direction to know his will. That's the case in any text that you'll find in the Bible. It's not just enough for God to show you. You've got to want to know it. You've got to be able to seek it. The Bible, said, the Bible says that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be blessed. Makairos in the Sermon on the Mount. So for those of us in this room, God may be telling you. He may be right in front of you, telling you on and on, but somehow you just don't want to hear it. So it is a matter of the heart, but it's a matter of the heart given to God. You've got to have the desire, and you've got to have the direction. He lists for us some of the bad proofs of the will of God, some of the bad tests. And he begins by telling Timothy this. Let me set up the stage for you, all right? Paul's got two sons in the ministry. One's named Titus, one's named Timothy. Titus, he doesn't have that many problems with. You see, Titus, as in Titus in the New Testament, Titus is a fire breather. He's the kind of guy who'll fight anybody. Titus is the guy that actually Paul has to tell, calm down a little bit. In Titus 3.9, he says, stop your foolish fights over silly things, genealogies and such. Timothy's problem is this. When God told Paul to leave Titus in Crete, which was the meanest church in the world, he knew it was a good fit. And when God told Paul to leave Timothy in Ephesus, it was also a good fit. But the problem was, Timothy was one of those guys who constantly second-guessed himself. Maybe you got a dorm mate like that, somebody who lives with you in your hall, somebody who constantly says, all right, I think I know where God wants me to go, and then second-guesses themselves constantly. That's Timothy. Timothy, the word for Timothy in the Bible is timidity. He says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, fear. He's not giving you a spirit of cowardice. It's not that he's a coward in the classic sense of the word. It's that he, he's so unsure of himself. He lacks confidence. And because he lacks confidence, he never walks with power. He's always second-guessing himself. 
And so to Timothy, what he tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is he goes, one of the things that the church is telling him is this can't be God's will for your life. You're not supposed to be here at Ephesus because you're too young. That's why he begins by saying, let nobody mock you because you're young. Now I want you to hear me. You could be a junior here, you could be a senior here in high school. You could be a freshman enrolled or a senior getting ready to transition. A graduate student who's debating whether you should go on for the PhD. You will run into people who tell you, listen, God loves you and I have a plan for your life. It's people who are trying to impose their misery on you. If you've ever met somebody who's miserable in marriage and you talk to them about the person you love, what do you hear? Oh, dude, don't do it. She's going to suck the life out of you. Really? You look miserable. I'm happy. She's God's will for my life. No, man, they lie. Girls lie. You mean your girl lies. See, what happens is they project they projected on you. And somebody in Ephesus must have looked at Timothy as the pastor and said, it's not you. You're not called to be here. You're too young. Hear me. Every single person within the sound of my voice, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you take 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and mark it down. Let no one mock you because of your youth. God Almighty has not only called you, but he's gifted you and he's put inside of you the ability to do what he has called you to do. You cannot always listen to the vicious attacks of men or the projected failures of others. Let no one look down on your youth. And then he gives them six things that he's supposed to do to prove to them that he's the man of God he is. He says, but be an example to the believers. And listen to these six things. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. What he was saying is, it's not always chronological. I've met people who are well on in their walk with God, but man, they, they're miserable. Because somewhere down the line, they missed the will of God in their life. They didn't do what God called them to do. I don't think a week goes by that I don't run into somebody who says, man, I was called to be a preacher as a young boy, but... I said no, and now here I am at 50, and I, man, I wish I was still doing that. Why miss the boat? Why not make the hardest decisions now so that you don't look back on your life when you're 40 and 50 and 60 with regret? The Bible is clear. God wants to tell you his will. If you've got the desire to know it, he'll give you the direction to see it. And somewhere down the line, you've got to be vulnerable enough to listen to the voice of God, but visionary enough to ignore the voices of men. You've got to be vulnerable enough, soft enough, willing enough, humble enough to hear the voice of God, but you've got to be visionary enough not to get distracted, visionary enough not to listen to the voices of men. Those six things that he lists for them sort of help us delineate, funnel the will of God. Whatever it is that is the will of God in your life, some of you it may be to come to liberty. Man, I hope every single one of you come. This place lengthened my life. I went from a place where I was teaching where I was in the middle of fighting and politics and stuff that was driving me crazy. When God brought me here, do you know what touched me the most? 
It wasn't necessarily faculty, though I've got amazing faculty I get to teach with. It wasn't administration. They were busy. We were busy. It was the kids. The students on this campus are ministers to the ministers. You guys are fire breathers. I want to tell those of you who are visitors why you shouldn't come to Liberty. Do not come here if you just want a piece of paper on the wall. This place will change you. Your friends, your roommates, the kids you pray with, your ministry partners, these people are fire breathers and flamethrowers. They will cross minefields to retrieve a live grenade in the name of Jesus. Every time we tell them about a mission trip, they don't want the easy ones and they don't want the safe ones. They want to go where nobody else has gone because nobody else has got the guts to do it. If you come here, you're going to be so challenged. If you come here, we will not allow you to live in apathy or lethargy. You will not be saved and stagnant. We will annoy the living fire out of you. Our, our faculty are the same way. We, our faculty don't send you on mission trips. We lead mission trips. They go into the bush. They go into the 1040 window. They go into places that you don't even know are on the map. We're going to be going to Bubba 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 Land. Well, where's Bubba 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 Land? Well, it's, it's a place where they practice cannibalism. Uh, they don't speak the Bible. Uh, they don't know the Bible because they can't read. And we're going there to tell them that Jesus saves. And by the way, they really like white meat, so all you crackers, we need you to go. Really? You know what? I'm going to pray about it. And then the next thing you know, here you are, a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, a senior, and you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to blah, 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 land. And here's what's going to happen. I make you this promise. You're going to call home. First off, you're going to ask the question, how do I pay for it? I have enough trouble paying for my parking tickets. How am I going to pay for a trip to blah, 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 land? You're going to call home and tell your family. You're going to say, Mom, Dad, guess what? In just seven weeks or in two months or in three, year, in three months, we're going to be going to blah, 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 land. I am going to be a minister of the gospel. We're going to be telling them about Jesus. They've never heard the name of Jesus, and we're going. Here's what you're going to hear. I'm sorry, you're going where? Blah, 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 land. Is that even a country? And as you tell your friends and family, you know what they're going to say? That's not the will of God for your life. Because they're terrified for you. They don't know if God's spoken to you. And in a minute we're going to talk about that. I'm going through what we would call the preparation to hear the voice of God. And part of the preparation is you've got to believe that God is willing to speak to you. You the junior in high school. You the senior in high school. You the freshman at Liberty. You the senior at Liberty. You the graduate student. Everybody's going to tell you it's not possible Whatever it is that God is calling you to is going to be bigger than your vision. It's going to be bigger than you because look what he told Timothy. God called you here. Don't let anybody mock you because you're young. You're God's man. And so I say to you, you are God's man and you are God's woman and God has a purpose for you and it's got to fit those six things. It's going to be something that, that helps you minister in love, that helps you minister in truth, that helps you minister in spirit, that helps you minister in purity and it's going to be bigger than you. This helps the funnel a little bit. You can't be called by God to do something ungodly. 
If you come up to me at campus church and go, you know what, I really believe that God's called me to minister to the world, good, awesome. He's called me to be a stripper for Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and say no. I'm going to say no, that's not God. That's stupid. Because it violates impurity. So part of the preparation to hear the voice of God is you got to know, you've got to know that what it is is bigger than you and it's right in line with being what you're supposed to be as a believer. Now here's a test. A test of a person who's willing to be this way is somebody who says, I'm willing to go anywhere, to reach anyone, and do anything for the purpose of God's glory, even if nobody ever hears from me again. It's not a call to fame. It's not a call to power or prominence or prestige. or power. It's none of those things. It is a call to be faithful, not famous. So whatever it is God's calling you to do, the first thing in preparation is you've got to be willing to say, yes, I'll do it. Now, Lord, show me. And it's going to line up with word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. It's going to be bigger than what I expect, bigger than what people think I can do, bigger than what my biggest fears are. Preparation for the call, preparation to know the will of God. Well, there are good proofs. I've given you the bad one. There's other bad ones. Well, I know this place is the will of God because my boyfriend's here. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Don't follow somebody to a school. Matter of fact, if you follow somebody here, I hope he breaks up with you and ends up dating some chica that he met down the street. That's right. You're following men, not God. What are you doing? Let me be clear to the parents here. It may not be God's will for your child to come to liberty. And the most dangerous place is to be out of the will of God, which means if it's not God's will for you to be here, for your child to be here, then they're going to be miserable and so will you. We don't want you here if it's not God's will. But if it is God's will, you go home, tear up the rest of the applications and say, this is where we need to be. But don't hesitate between two opinions and don't hedge your bets. Hedging your bets is like telling God, I've got a plan B. God doesn't operate by plan B. God gives you a vision, he gives you his will, he gives you his call. It's going to be huge. That's why he gives us these good proofs. Look at verse 13. The reading, the exhortation, and the doctrine. That is the reading, hearing, and knowing. How do I test? It's going to be lined up with the word of God. It will be solidified in my heart. I will hear it from others. I will know it. I will read it. And it's not going to be from the people who lack faith. It's going to be from the people you admire. It's going to be from people who look you in the eye and say, God can do something bigger than you. God has a will for your life, and it's not to laziness. It's not to the status quo. God's will for your life is huge. Are you willing to accept it? That's part of the preparation. That's part of the desire. The direction? Well, that moves us on to the last verses. Do not neglect. Here it is. Here's a test. The gift that is in you. First test to know whether something's the will of God for your life. Will it help me sharpen the tool that God's already put inside of me? Some of you are gifted in drama. Some of you are gifted in music. Some of you are gifted in math. Some of you are gifted in science. There are over 80 majors that we've got here. And if God has called you to be a minister in that world, and I want you to hear what I said, 
I absolutely believe, I, I, I absolutely believe that God calls every single vocation. He doesn't just call ministers and preachers and evangelists. He calls you to be a math teacher. He calls you to be a nurse. He calls you to be a politician. He calls you to work in engineering. God calls everyone. He doesn't just call the preachers. And so the moment that you sense that that's God's call, one way to know whether this place is God's call for your life or a church is God's call for your life or a ministry is God's call for your life is, is it going to help me sharpen the tool that God's already put in my hand? Sit down and make a list of your gifts. Don't be humble and don't be proud. Don't give it to somebody and show it to somebody and ask them to critique it. Just between you and God, make a list of the things that you can do. And then make a list of the things that people say you can't do. I was the worst student at Cumberland College in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Straight C's in the ministry, straight C's. When I shared, when I opened my mouth and shared with my roommates that I felt called to be a prof, they laughed at me. You know what ended up happening? From that year, 1987, for 10 years, I never pursued God's call in my life. I just pastored because I figured that's all I had left. And for 10 years, I made myself and every church I served miserable. I knew what God called me to be, but I listened to the voices of people who told me it couldn't. I knew that God gave me a tiny little gift that I wanted to share and use. So test number one, does it help sharpen the instrument that God has put in my hands? Test number two, does it nag me? Look at the word meditate on these things. The word for meditate is an agrarian term. It actually comes from the farm, and it means to chew the cud. I know nothing about farming, so I had to ask my wife about this. Here's how cows chew the cud. They eat it, swallow it, bring it back up, chew it again, swallow it, bring it back up, chew it again, swallow it. They do it into four stomachs. Ew. Oh, bama. That's nasty. I'm just saying. Really? But you get the thesis, you get the idea. Yeah. If that offended you, feel free to email me. My email is rgodwin at liberty.edu. If you've never heard me before, the reason I do that is I'm so sick of them cursing the name of our God on TV and music and radio that I just, I just pick anything in the world and, and curse it. I, 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 oh, my Krishna, you know, whatever. And people go, that's wrong. Then stop cursing the name of Jesus. R. Godwin at liberty.edu. <laughs> to meditate means to chew it up. It's got to be deep in your heart. Like Mary, when God told her she was going to be the mother of God, the Theotokos. It's, it's got to be something that is nagging you. It's not follow your heart. It's not, oh, let's have a group hug and light a candle and sing the Coca-Cola theme song. It's not sitting around and going, okay, this is pretty. I prayed, and while I was praying, I was holding my precious moments angel, and shh, <laughs> To meditate means to grind it up, to chew it down, to focus on it so much that when God begins to clarify your vision, it is real and it is sure. Meditate on these things. Make certain of these things.
That's why we have so many students transfer their majors, because they selected a major they thought they wanted instead of listening to the major that God wanted them to have. And when you find the major that God wants you to have, man, then it's right. It's passionate. It gets you up in the morning. It livens you. It gives you a pulse. It quickens your blood. It makes you alive. I love this job. There's nothing else on the planet that I'd want to do. There have been jobs that I've had that I hated. When you love your job, time flies. When you hate your job, it just crawls. Does it help me abandon myself? Test number three, to the will of God. Look what he says. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely. Are you willing to abandon yourself to know the will of God? To say, God, I'll do it no matter what? Give yourself entirely. Fourth test. Did you hear from God? Give yourself entirely. And then he says that your progress may be evident to all. Eventually, people will come around and they'll say, gotcha. It seems like it fits. I've never seen you as happy. I've never seen you as focused. You'll look back on the days where you were struggling and say, that was rough, but God brought me through. And because I surrendered to the right thing at the right time for the right reason in the right place, I'm going to tell you right now, I want every single beating heart to stay here all the way through the PhD. I don't care what your degree is. I don't care what your major is. Get every ounce of education that you can wring out of this period of time in your life. You will never regret anything you've ever done on this mountain when you pour yourself into the will of God. But if you don't, look at the last verse. You will make yourself and everybody else around you miserable. I don't want to be miserable. Life on this plane is too short to be miserable. I've made way too many bad decisions to live my life in a continuing one. Find the will of God. Hunger for the will of God. And then make no apologies. When somebody questions you, smile, pat them on the back and say, it's the will of God in my life. Shut up. And when you do, when you do, you know what's going to happen? You're going to make them miserable because they don't have it. Be vulnerable enough to hear the voice of God. Be visionary enough to not listen to the voices of men. God bless you.